The Last Word with Matt Cooper. John Gibbons is with us for our weekly discussion about environmental issues and we started the programme by talking to people from Cork which of course along with West Waterford suffered extraordinary flood damage yesterday. Uh, areas like Middleton, Glanmire, Riverstown, Whitegate, Castle Martyr, Killa, Ringis, uh, Cloyne, all on the east of Cork City getting an awful hammering and Dungarvan in West Waterford as we heard from another listener a suggestion that there has been about a month's worth of rain in 24 to 36 hours and we've heard about the devastation caused to businesses in these towns uh, to people in their homes which have suffered enormous damage uh, people who've lost their cars which were swept away in the floods and uh, the trauma involved as well for school children and elderly people who had to be rescued from the buildings that they were in because the roads around them were impassable and people using tractors, using canoes, whatever way they could to actually move people to safety. Uh, John Gibbons, we have to bear all of that in mind when we're talking about what needs to be done, I think. A lot of people suggesting that perhaps there needed to be more from Met Aaron in saying that this was a red weather warning event rather than an orange one. That you have to say red to make people realise how dangerous the situation can get. What do you think? Yeah, good evening, Matt. I, I, I think it's a tough call for Matt Aaron because uh, they also have to be uh, very wary of ringing the bell uh, and for a false alarm. So I suppose they, their, their counter-argument to that has been that an orange, the difference between an orange warning and a, and a red warning in, in terms of flooding can only be a matter of millimetres. So I think they were probably unlucky that they didn't call this one as red. And of course, as we know, um, weather phenomena like like we're experiencing here, they can be quite localised. So you can have an intense uh, downpour in, in one area uh, that is very, very difficult to pick up at a national scale. So obviously Obviously, uh, Middleton and surrounding areas have been absolutely hammered. Uh, and, and I listened to the people you interviewed earlier and been watching footage from the from the area. It's absolutely appalling. Now, it can be hard, Matt, to keep track of these these events because I've I've been going back in preparation for this piece, looking at the record across the world in extreme flooding events this year. Now, these are coming at us so hard and so fast that it. Many people, myself included, had forgotten many of these. It's it's barely four weeks ago that over 11,000 people were killed in extreme flooding events uh, in Libya. Now, they were, of course, exacerbated by the political condition in Libya, but these were uh, unprecedented flooding events. We've seen extreme flooding in Hong Kong, Turkey, Taiwan, Brazil, the US, Spain, uh, California, Alaska, Norway, Sweden, Slovenia. And each of these events that I've described there, Matt, are like epic flooding events. Now, I could continue the list and, and I could add uh, Bosnia, Croatia, Italy, Romania, Kosovo, Brazil. The pattern is absolutely clear. We have much more energy in the global climate system. We know that the heating that we've already put into the system, uh, that for every one degree centigrade of uh, increased temperature, uh, the capacity of the atmosphere to carry moisture increases by 7%. So there is a lot more water vapour in the global atmosphere. Met-air and data bears this out. They said that we're get, 
we're getting 7% more rainfall than we were getting 40 years ago. Now that doesn't sound like a lot, but in fact, particularly because it's it's happening in combination with shifts in the patterns of rainfall. So the traditional Irish rain, which is kind of soft and continuous, that's more or less gone and it's been replaced with severe rainfall events like the one that has just been experienced uh, in association with the storm, uh, but also uh, in combination with that, we're seeing we're seeing increased uh, drought events as well. So the, these these events are happening more or less in synchrony. So Indeed, sorry, there's another listener has just texted and said, we are farmers, our crops are under feet of water, nobody has mentioned us, and it's hard when your livelihood depends on the weather. It should have been a red warning, it's going to cost us thousands on the crops washed away. Uh, this is from a listener on the West Waterford, East Cork border. Farmers need to be looked after too. This is our business. And John, you would actually have to have an enormous amount of sympathy for the farmers as well. It must be devastating to look out at your crops and actually see them all destroyed like that. Of course. I mean, the same with the business people in the towns to to watch their businesses devastated. And Matt, in many cases, those businesses do not have insurance. And and that could also be the case for farms. Uh, Sorry, they may not be able to get insurance in the future as well as another problem. That that is absolutely correct. More and more insurers, and we've seen this on a global scale as well, states like Florida and California, the insurance companies are simply saying to people, we will not offer you insurance at any price because their calculations are based on risk. And the problem with risk is that when the when the rules change, Matt, uh, as we're now seeing with the, with the, the the dramatic shifts, it's impossible for insurance companies to figure out their risk exposure. So what they do is they shut it down. And unfortunately, we're going to see more and more of that. And and I think one of my fears, and I think I'm I'm by no means alone in that, is that more and more places in Ireland are going to become uninsurable. You'll you'll get paid out once by the insurance company, and after that, that's it. Now, part of this, of course, is to do with their planning issues. We we know especially during the during the boom times that many many places were built on floodplains now floodplains uh I guess the hint is in the name. The rivers need to flood. They need to be allowed to flood in a in a in in a natural way to absorb, for example, heavy downpours of rain. This idea, and it's a sort of a thing that often comes out of the OPW, that we can sort of engineer our rivers as if they were sort of you know pipes or sewers, that we can simply control all of this. That is simply not the case, and especially because the hydrological cycle has been intensified as we're seeing now. So it's impossible to simply turn our rivers into canals as some people seem to think that the answer to this is to just... Uh, hold on, John. I mean, hasn't there been good benefits brought to the likes of Mallow and Fermoy and I think Clonakilty as well, uh, Bandon also perhaps, although I could not be corrected on that, by the introduction of flood relief schemes, trying to do things to protect the various towns from excessive water flows in the rivers. Indeed, there's a lot of people in Middleton today saying that if there had been flood relief put in place, that the extent of the damage wouldn't have happened. You're absolutely right. And I, my, my own hometown of Kilkenny, exactly the same. Kilkenny was subject to uh, repeated flooding until extensive and very expensive works were completed. And for now, Matt, they're holding really well. But the problem is they're moving the water down the river, right? So obviously there's certain high value infrastructure like town centres that have to be protected but we cannot canalise our entire river systems so the problem is when you when you fence off or you, you rail off this amount of river you're actually speeding up the water and pushing it further down to your neighbour and in the case of the agricultural community unfortunately um 
you cannot protect floodplains. It is simply impossible. And you hear this from local politicians demanding dredging of rivers and all this nonsense. You can't protect. The best thing that we can do to reduce the impacts of flooding is, for example, to stop cutting bogs. Bogs are wonderful things for absorbing excess rainfall. They're fantastic. But when we drain and cut bogs, that rain instead deflects directly into the rivers. That's one thing, Matt. The second thing is our uplands have been in many cases, highly damaged. Now, damaged uplands are unable to slow down the rate of intense rainfall. And what does that rainfall do? It rushes off the hills and the mountains, rushes down into the valleys and and hits towns like Middleton. This is an issue. We really need to look at restoring our uplands and realise that the best flood defences are not made of concrete. They're actually natural riparian defences along our riverbanks and also to restore. We need to give rivers back the space that they need to do what rivers do, which is to flood occasionally. You cannot stop rivers flooding, but what you can do is manage that in a way that our critical infrastructure is protected. But you cannot simply, as I say, concrete your way out of this situation, particularly Matt, and it's critical to, to reiterate this. But, say, John, John, sorry, this listener here says the flood relief in Douglas, which is on the south side of Cork, worked so well that there wasn't a repeat of the flooding in 2012. And it does sort of strike me as this sort of saying, well, that's almost like trying, there's nothing we can do. We'll just leave the towns and cities flood. I mean, if you have a way of moving the deluge of water somewhere else where it could be dealt with somewhere else or where it does less damage, surely that makes sense. Absolutely, and and maybe I haven't made that clear. Of course we have to protect high-value infrastructure which particularly are towns and cities, they have to be protected. Of course they do. And they can be protected. But my point is, you can't continue this right throughout the countryside. You can't drain and dredge rivers and think somehow or other that that's going to solve your problem. We have to, the water has to go somewhere. So the best thing we can do is to restore our uplands so that they're they're not dumping uh, millions of gallons of water quickly into our lowlands. That's one thing. We need to restore our bogs and recognise that restoring our bogs is vital to holding water because that argument, Matt, in, has been lost along the way. So, so Matt, I don't know how many bogs there are in Cork. No, no, sure, of course. These are these. Are, every area has its own topography and its own issues. But you know, for example, when I was a kid in school, uh, we used to learn about these things called oxbow lakes. You might remember those from our school books. There isn't, as far as I'm aware, a single oxbow lake. Uh, left in Ireland because we have straightened our rivers and sort of taken over our floodplains to the extent that we're creating some of these problems. Not all of them, some of them, but it is critical to say as well, of course we have to protect the high value infrastructure, as I've just said, but equally we have to allow that water to find its okay. level elsewhere. There's a listener here who says waterways need to be slowed down, less concrete walls, more soakage banks with vegetation and trees, which I think is what you're suggesting. But other listeners are saying that there are plenty of examples from all over Europe where they do dredge the water in the river so as to actually create more depth, more space for the water coming down. Yeah, it's it's a nice idea. It's an engineering kind of fantasy that we can, you know, control the rivers. We can't. And I just listed a few minutes ago yeah. some of the European countries, Matt, that have been absolutely hammered. And well, they the way, tend to be more the southern states, aren't they? But more of the dredging may happen in the northern states. Sure. I mean, again, it varies from area to area. But I'm talking about, for example, your listeners may recall deadly flooding events happening in Austria and Germany. These are first world, really wealthy countries that cannot. And and they've got all the technology you like, all the engineering that you like. But when that water comes, basically, unless it's got somewhere to go, it is going to devastate 
human infrastructure. And that's the thing. We've got to find space for the rivers. And your listener, I think, who called in there is exactly correct. We have to find a compromise here. And the best form of engineering against flooding is soft engineering. In other words, working with nature. Now, I know this in some quarters is not fashionable to recognize that nature has a huge role here. But I think it's critical now. And it's especially critical, Matt, because remember, I said at the start that you know, one degree centigrade means 7% more, but we're on the way to another degree. So we could be looking at 14, 15% more rainfall. So so what we're seeing in Middleton today, in a number of years time, uh, we could be looking at far more severe. And then what happens? So let's say you've built your concrete infrastructure and you're trying to canalize it through, but now we've got far more rainfall. What happens? That fails. And when you've built flood defenses through your towns that fail, then you've got catastrophe because okay. on the other side of that, you've, you've got basically unprotected things. So the best thing probably to do here, uh, and I know this is a wider picture, is uh, maybe we should try to, to, to tackle the reason why our climate is heating up. Which is something we'll get back to on other days yeah. during The Last Word of the Environment, which with John Gibbons here every Thursday. Thank you very much, John. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.